G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. You might have a question or a comment to make. With our guest, one of the most recognisable and in-demand Christian speakers in the world. You might be surprised. He is an Aussie. Ken Ham, a science teacher who taught in state schools here in Australia, is on everybody's radar these days since he built the Creation Museum in Ohio in the US and the world-renowned Ark Encounter, which opened in Kentucky in July last year. The life-size Noah's Ark is designed to be historically authentic. It's 155 metres long. It's 26 metres wide and 16 metres high. It's the biggest timber-framed structure in the world. Well, Ken Ham is the president, CEO and founder of Answers in Genesis and the visionary behind the highly acclaimed Creation Museum and the world-renowned Ark Encounter. And Ken is on his way to Australia this month. He'll be speaking in Australia with his colleague, Dr. Andrew Snelling, at a conference uh, using the facilities at Mueller College, Rothwell Community Church, uh, just on the north side of Brisbane. It's called the Re-Engage Conference. But a uh, special welcome along to 2020 today to Ken Ham. Hello, Ken. Welcome back. Hi, Neil. Hey, I can actually see you sitting there because I've been in that studio with you. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I love a catch-up with you, Ken, and uh, we had a great time last time when you were face-to-face. Uh, this time you're sitting up a little later into the evening at home in Cincinnati. Isn't that the case? Uh, yes, it's uh, just after 8.30 p.m. on Thursday evening, and over there it's uh, Friday morning, so you could tell me what the weather's going to be like tomorrow. I'll have to check on that for you. <laughs> Look, you're coming to Australia, and uh, you're doing a number of things while you're here. I mentioned the Re-Engage conference, a speaking engagement, a two-day conference, an important one that's happening on the north side of Brisbane. So for southeast Queensland listeners and those who want to travel distance uh, to see you speak on some very important topics, uh, that'll be an important thing to uh, lock into. But you're coming over here, too, for a personal relational family reason too, uh, your mum is turning 90 early next year. Yeah, she does. She turns 90 in February. And by the way, she's listening to this, so I have to be careful what I say about her. But uh, uh, she's a a godly woman who prays for me every day. Well, I want to say a special hello to Norma uh, listening in today, Ken Ham's mum, and uh, no doubt very proud of some of the recent achievements let's spend uh, just a few moments getting an update ken the ark encounter uh, global news and uh, it is uh, just uh, sitting there as a great icon a testimony to uh, the genesis account how have things been going since the opening last year well, it's very interesting because uh, actually the Ark Encounter and, and Creation Museum are here in northern Kentucky, just across the river from Ohio, across the river from Cincinnati. And they've had such an impact on northern Kentucky 
that Northern Kentucky now is what they would call the greatest faith-based tourism destination in America. And uh, people come from all over America, thousands every day, and all over the world, in fact, uh, to see the Ark Encounter and Creation Museum. The Ark Encounter was open 7th of July 2016, and we opened it midsummer, which means, you know, we sort of missed a lot of the vacation time here in America and all the bus tours that want to come, you know, they want 12 months to plan. But even so, in the first 12 months, we had uh, over a million people come to the Ark Encounter in the, and the numbers are going to be for the second year, for a normal year, 1.4 to 2.2 million people per year. It's, it's double, quadrupled on some days, quadrupled the attendance at the Creation Museum. And we have had hundreds and hundreds of buses. Um, there are over 400 that, uh, bu- buses, bus tours that were booked in and then a lot more booked in as well for October. 80% of those are secular tours and they come from all over America bringing in thousands of people. So it's been an incredible success and it's got news headlines across the USA and in newspapers all around the world and it really has become a major tourist destination and it's not just Christians who come to it, it's non-Christians too and the Ark, it's one and a half times the length of a football field and you've got all three decks and you can walk through all three decks filled with exhibits and we have outside exhibits and a zoo and a petting zoo, lots of other things as well. One of the most controversial things you did this year with the Ark was that you lit the Ark in rainbow colours. Now, given the sensitivities that there are with a marriage debate that's going on here in Australia, of course, we don't have same-sex marriage legislated here. In the US, you do. Uh, But in doing that, lighting the Ark in rainbow colours, you were really uh, stirring up a bit of a hornet's nest there, Ken. Well, I must admit, uh, the LGBTQ uh, movement got onto my Twitter and basically blew up my Twitter, and uh, that got in news and newspapers all across America too. But you see, one of the things I said was, look, we're taking back the rainbow. You know, the LGBT movement uh, started using a rainbow flag uh, in 1978, but God gave meaning to the rainbow uh, 4,300 years ago. We read about it in Genesis 9 when he said, when you see the rainbow, uh, when you see that, it's a reminder, a covenant between God and man and God and the animals, that God will never again judge with a a global flood. He's going to judge again with fire, but not uh, with water. And I said, you know, we need to take back the rainbow. And so every night we light up uh, the ark with rainbow colors, and people love it. In fact, uh, we have a lot of rainbow products now at the ark, rainbow umbrella and rainbow T-shirts, and people... Uh, are getting those and loving them because many, many uh, people, many Christians and conservative people say, yes, we need to take back the rainbow, the real meaning of the rainbow. And so, yeah, it caused caused quite a stir and will continue to cause quite a stir, but it's making a point, and we want to make a point, that God's Word is true, and that's the point that we're making. And also, God's Word is true when it comes to marriage. God made marriage. God invented marriage, not the Supreme Court of the United States. God did when he made the first man, Adam, from dust and woman from his side, and that's why marriage is to be a man and a woman, which is what Jesus said in Matthew 19 as the God-man. When asked about marriage, he quoted from Genesis to say he made the male and female, and you become one because you're one flesh. It's to be a man and a woman. And uh, so that's why we're making the point. 
by lighting up uh, the side of the ark with the rainbow colours. Interestingly too, when we talk about Christians and our understanding of a biblical view of marriage, it's Jesus who hearkens back to Genesis. And this comes to one of these very important points, and I know you love to address these sorts of issues because people are not seeing Genesis as important as they perhaps used to. And one of the reasons why there is some floundering in church leadership and church credibility perhaps is due to the way that leaders are not giving the same credibility and high profile to the book of Genesis. And this has been one of your, uh, one of your key highlights in the way that you present things about the Bible for so, so long, Ken. Oh, that's true, and, and that's why, you know, the first session I'll do at the conference, starting on the Friday night when we come to Australia, uh, is going to be dealing with these issues. Because, you know, when you look at what's happening uh, in the church, I find the younger generation are really hungry for leadership. They're hungry for someone to tell them, uh, you know, that they can stand on, on the authority of, of God's Word. And the book of Genesis, the first 11 chapters, is actually foundational to the whole of the rest of the Bible. Every doctrine we believe as Christians is founded in those first 11 chapters. Uh, for instance, why are we sinners? Well, original sin, uh, right there in Genesis 3. Uh, why do we wear clothes? God gave clothes because of sin. Genesis 3, that's why humans wear clothes. The first blood sacrifices are covering for their sin, a picture of what was to come in Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What about marriage? In Matthew 19 and in Mark 10, it's recorded when Jesus was asked about marriage, he said, have you not read, have you not read what? Have you not read he which made them at the beginning, made them male and female, that's Genesis 1.27, and said, for this cause shall a man of his father and mother and cleave unto his wife and be one flesh, that's Genesis 2.24, so Jesus quotes uh, right there from Genesis to give the foundation for marriage. And so why Jesus died on the cross? Why do we die? Well, death is the penalty for sin. Adam, Genesis 2, if you eat of this tree, if you disobey, if you eat this fruit, you will surely die. And death was the penalty for sin. That's why we die. That's why God's Son stepped into history to be the God-man, to die on the cross, be raised from the dead. So, Neil, we could go through all of those, but the whole of the rest of the Bible is founded in Genesis 1 to 11. And when Christian leaders don't take a stand on Genesis 1 to 11 or say it doesn't matter, then even with the same-sex marriage debate, think about it from a Christian perspective. Why do we believe marriage is a man and a woman? Why do we believe same-sex marriage is not, not wrong, is, is not right, is wrong? Why do we believe that? It's because of what Genesis says. If, if you say Genesis history is not true, and you have no basis for marriage, then marriage is whatever you want to make it to be. You could define it however you want it to define it. But God defines it right there when he made the first marriage to be a man and a woman. If that history is not true, then it's just an opinion what you believe about marriage. And if that history is not true, then what is sin? Why are we sinners? Why did Jesus die on the cross? It's really important for people to understand that our doctrines are based in Genesis. But the second point is this, Neil. If we don't take God at his word in Genesis, just like Jesus, as the God-man did, Peter did, Paul did, I mean, you, you read Corinthians, you read Romans, you read Second Peter 3, they quote from Genesis as literal history. But if you say, no, it could mean millions of years in evolution, and you take man's ideas 
outside the Bible and reinterpreting it, you're actually saying you don't have to take God's word as written. It's really undermining biblical authority. And that's what we've lost from our Western culture is a foundation of an absolute authority. And, and you know, in the book of Judges, when they had no king to tell them what to do, no absolute authority, they all did what was right in their own eyes. That's what's happening in our Western world. We have generations who no longer believe there's an absolute authority. Man determines truth, so ultimately anything goes. That's really what's happening to our Western world. Well, I want to invite listeners. You might like to contribute. You might have a question, and you might have an alternative point of view. All views welcome today on 2020 as we open our talkback line on 1-800-316-316. No doubt we'll come back to some of those issues that you raise there, Ken. Let me, though, bring you back to your theme this year, because uh, an important theme, igniting a new reformation this week on Tuesday here in Australia was the 31st of October. And, of course, uh, the day we celebrated 500 years since Martin Luther nailed his 95 thesis to the castle church door in Wittenberg in Germany. And uh, I know that Reformation has been a theme that you have held to this year because of the idea of a compromise in Genesis and uh, bringing back a focus on a Reformation and need for a new Reformation. What are your thoughts on this theme and how it's unfolded so far this year, Ken? Well, you know, when we look at the church in our whole Western world, I was just over in uh, England, uh, Neil. Here's the interesting thing, by the way. I was over in England. Uh, We had a conference there. And the whole United Kingdom is basically spiritually dead from a Christian perspective. All of Europe is is spiritually dead from a Christian perspective. I mean, in the United Kingdom, church attendance at the time of the last war was about 45 to 50 percent of the population. It's down to 4.3 percent of the population right now. And there was just an article this week that the Church of England is bemoaning the fact that many of their churches no longer have children and no longer have young people in them. But you know what was interesting? We had a conference there, a three-day conference over there in England. People came from all over Europe. Some people actually came from Australia and the United States, but mostly from the United Kingdom and all across Europe, the rest of Europe. But lots of young people, lots of children, lots of young people, and they told me they really, they're they're living in a culture where, where, you know, everything is right in everyone else's eyes and who knows what's right and what's wrong, and they really want answers, and uh, they really want to hear what we've got to say about God's Word. And one of the things that, that we have looked at is, look, the church is no longer having the impact on the culture like it used to in our Western world. You certainly see that across the United Kingdom. Even in America, we're seeing the church is not having the impact it used to on the culture. I would say the same is true in, in, in all of our Western world, including Canada and, and, and Australia. And I believe it very much is related to the fact that, that God's people and many of our leaders, instead of standing on the absolute authority on God's Word from Genesis... They told generations of kids, you don't need to believe the history starting at the beginning in the Bible. You can believe what man says about evolution millions of years. It unlocks a door. Why should we believe any of the Bible? And that's one of the reasons why this year we said, hey, this is the 500th anniversary of the, uh, of the Reformation when Martin Luther, that, uh, that German uh, monk, nailed those theses on the door of the, the church in uh, Wittenberg, and uh, then, you know, in 1521, at the, at the Diet of Worms, when, when he stood there and said, here I stand, I can do no other, God help me, here I stand on the authority of God's word. 
We said, you know, if we want to see a revival in our Western culture, a revival of Christianity having the impact it did in the past, we need a new Reformation first. We need to call the church. We need to call God's people back to the authority of God's Word beginning in Genesis. And so we had a theme for this year, igniting a new Reformation. And we thought it would be a great year to have it, particularly as it's the 500th anniversary of the Reformation that spread God's Word in the Gospel out around the world. And we do. Neil, I really, really earnestly believe we need a new Reformation in our churches. And that's why I speak at conferences like the one I'm doing in Australia there very soon. And we do all across America. And we just did over there in England because we really need a new Reformation in our churches. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Ken Ham is our guest, the visionary behind the highly acclaimed Creation Museum and the world-renowned Ark Encounter in the US. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. Ken, let's take some calls from listeners. Sue is in Mackay in Queensland. Hello, Sue. Welcome along. Hi, how are you going? Very good, Sue. What are your thoughts? Do you have a question for Ken? Yeah, hi, Ken. How are you? Hey, I'm doing um, good. Hey, I like to hear Mackay because I uh, did all my high schooling in Serena, which is just south of Mackay. Oh, fantastic. South South Football Club. Wendell Saylor. Yeah, he came from that way. Okay, good. What is, what's your question, Sue? Just in regards to the relevance of the topic today, um, I just had the opportunity and was, was thinking and praying as I was listening to you guys, um, just the relevance to my situation with my 11-year-old daughter at the moment. Um, and totally understanding the foundations of authority. Um, I'm just in that point where I'm not too sure um, whether I'm on the right track or where to go with having something tangible that she can relate these these things in her life to. Um, a lot of our close family members are in same-sex relationships, her auntie, um, and on my side uh, of the family also. So she's struggling with thinking her aunties and uncles are going to go to hell because they've sinned, living the life they're living. Um, so she's struggling with the fact that where does she get something tangible to apply those principles from, out of God's Word? Um, Sue, good question. 11-year-old daughter, and uh, there's issues uh, with different uh, couples in the family uh, who are same-sex related, and where do you find authority for understanding what a direction to hold to and be confident in actually is? Uh, Ken Ham, your thoughts for Sue in Mackay? Well, Sue, you know, that's a very good question, and, and it's very, very important. And, you know, I... I, and it depends on the on, on circumstances, on those particular people, and what they claim to believe, and so on. But basically, the big picture is this: Look, I always look on it as uh, when you when you're teaching children, we need to be building a house. You don't build a house from the roof down. You don't build the roof, then the walls, and then the foundation. We have to build the foundation, then the walls, then the roof. And ultimately, there's only two foundations. And this is what I would teach her. Ultimately, there's only two. Think about it. You either start with someone who knows everyone and knows everything who's always been there, and that is God, and we have his word. We have a revelation from God who knows everything who enables us to have the right foundation for our thinking, or it, it's man who determines truth. I mean, that's, that's what happened back in Genesis. If you read Genesis 2, Genesis 3, uh, Adam, trust God. What did the devil say? 
you can become like God, did God really say? In other words, you decide truth for yourself, but what did God say? No, listen to me. And I would talk to her, and we have lots of materials, lots of books. In fact, at the conference, we're going to have the biggest range of creation apologetics books uh, in the world there, and for all ages. And what I would do is show, show her that, look, when we start from God's Word, you know, God made male and female in Genesis. God made the first marriage, Adam and Eve. And you can show her in the New Testament where Jesus in Matthew 19 quotes from that. So we're building our thinking from the foundation up. Now, if you have family members who don't have that foundation of God's Word, then you can understand they won't necessarily believe the same things. They might believe it could be two men or two women, but the reason we believe what we believe is because we start with God's Word. And until those family members really have the same starting point of God's Word, they're not going to uh, have the same worldview, and they won't understand. And that's why, as I say to people, the battle ultimately, in a sense, when you're talking about gay marriage, and people say, you know, this is a battle, gay, gay marriage, or what the Bible says. And so it's really a battle between man's word and God's word. And that's what you've really, really got to show them, is that when you start from God's word, that's why we believe what we do. So that's who we know who we are, where we came from, what our problem is, sin, what our solution is, Jesus Christ. If God's the absolute authority, he created us, he'd, he's the one that sets the rules. What's right, what's wrong? He's the absolute authority. But if you don't have that foundation then you can understand why they would believe anything they want to believe. And that really helps them, I believe, to really grasp hold of why we as Christians believe what we do and why those who don't have that same foundation have a different worldview. And then you can go from there. Thank you so much to Sue from Mackay in Queensland. And a little note as an addendum to that conversation that uh, Ken, you have written a booklet called God's Word on Gay Marriage. I'd point people to the Answers in Genesis site to be able to get a hold of that. Let's take another call. Michael is in Grafton in New South Wales. Hello, Michael. Welcome along. Hi, guys. How are you going? Very well. Michael, what are your thoughts? Look, I just um, look heard that Ken was on the... Uh the line and I've been a long time listener and listen Ken I've got a I'm a Christian and I've got other family members and uh, that are Christian I've got a brother-in-law and my sister-in-law and they believe I think it's called um, theistic evolution um, and when I talk right. to them about creation um, and I try to explain you know Genesis in Genesis a day is uh, you know the morning and the evening it's a literal time period I try to I, I believe in that um, they try to explain their way out of it. And they're Christians and they believe in Jesus and all that, but they mm. believe in this evolution and their reasoning is they try to tell me that Genesis was written in a different type of English or it's poetry and this sort of thing. And I've done a bit of a study and look, to me it seems pretty literal and, you know, maybe um, Proverbs is poetry and different things, but how do I how do I answer them that when they try to say in the Hebrew it was poetry and it, it, it could mean a lot of things? Ken. Well, let me, let me give you uh, two ideas here, first of all. Um, number one, look, when, when people who are Christians, and please let me, let me say this too, to, to make a, a, a statement here. Um, I'm not saying if people are, are theistic evolutionists or they don't believe in six literal days or don't believe in a young earth like me that they can't be Christians. Salvation is conditioned upon faith in Christ, not what you believe about the age of the earth or anything like that. I think that's important. Uh, for us to understand. And as you said, they're Christians, and, and I accept that. So if they're Christians, I challenge them on a couple of issues. One, one issue would be, 
you know, if you believe in, in evolution, you're believing in millions of years, because that's well, one of the foundation stones of evolution. They believe in millions of years. The, the idea of millions of years came from the belief that the fossil record, with, with all the fossils in their layer upon layer across the earth, was laid down millions of years before man. Now, when they take that, if they put it in the days of creation or they believe in the millions of years, that means when you look in the fossil record, there's all of this death and bloodshed. There's diseases like cancer in the bones in the fossil record. Um, there's uh, diseases like brain tumors. You can see evidence of that in the fossil record, arthritis. They're then saying God's responsible for disease. God's responsible for cancer because there's evidence of cancer in the bones in the fossil record. In fact, after God made man on day six, he said everything was very good. And uh, if, if you remember in the New Testament, when someone came to Jesus and said, good master, he said, why do you call me good? There's only one good, and that is God. And God calls death an enemy in the New Testament, and death is going to be thrown into the lake of fire. So I would challenge them, how can you believe that there was death and disease and suffering always here? That means God's responsible for that. But if you take Genesis as literal history, as Paul does in Romans 5 and in 1 Corinthians 15, then death is a consequence of our sin. Romans 8 says the whole creation groans. If you look at the world today and see all the death and suffering, if you believe in millions of years, it's always been like that, whereas Paul in Romans 8 says the creation groans. And then, the, you know, in, in regard to the poetry bit, Genesis is not written as poetry. It's written as typical historical narrative. There is a little bit of poetry in Genesis when Adam responds after the creation of Eve, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. But, you know, when you go to uh, the New Testament, for instance, Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 says, man is not from woman, woman is from man. A, a literal uh, statement there saying the literal history in Genesis is true, that woman came from man. Or when Jesus in Matthew 19 and Mark 9 asked about marriage, he said, haven't you read he made them male and female? And you become one because you're one flesh, quoting from Genesis as literal history. Uh, and in other places in the New Testament, it quotes Genesis 1 to 11 as literal history. Jesus talks about Noah as a real person. Ken, I'm going to need uh, to cut in because we're about to go to news. I want to thank Michael from Grafton in New South Wales, and we'll take some more calls after Vision National News. Ken Ham is our guest, the CEO, president, founder of Answers in Genesis, back with more shortly. Ken, let's continue to take some calls, shall we? On the line, we've got Thomas in Townsville in Queensland. Hello, Thomas. Welcome along. Hello. Thomas, what are your thoughts? Well, my thoughts are, it's kind of amazing how big the ark is, but it's actually the largest wooden structure in the world. You'd think people have built, would have built something big like that before, though, to hold all the animals in the world, nearly like two of, the, two of each animal in the world, basically. That would need a lot of space, though. It's kind of surprising that it's the largest wooden structure in the world. Thomas, if you don't mind me asking, how old are you? I'm 11. You're 11 years old, and Ken Ham on the line with us. Ken, uh, for Thomas, who's 11, asking about the size of the ark and uh, the capacity of the ark to have uh, all of the animals in Noah's day. Hey, Thomas, uh, great to talk to you, and uh, I have grandchildren your age, but, hey, the, the ark is the correct, the actual correct technical 
term is timber frame structure, not just timber structure, it's the biggest timber frame structure. And what that means, think about a loaf of bread and think about slices. It's built with these slices with big what are called lodge poles, massive big timbers and what's called post and beam construction. So it's a particular type of, of structure called a timber frame structure and it's one and a half times the length of a football field, half the width of a football field, and if, if it's built 15 feet above the ground, but it's a massive structure. It stands about seven stories high. But here's the thing. Noah didn't have to take two of each animal on board the ark, two of each kind of land animal. And that word kind comes from a Hebrew word, mean. And we would say the word kind means more... Uh, the family level of animals. For instance, uh, with dogs, you've got dingoes and wolves and coyotes and all sorts of different species of dogs. Noah only needed two of the dog family on the ark, not all the different species. Forming different species is just all the information that God put in the genes of, of dogs to have uh, all that variation. And when it comes to camels, uh, the camel kind includes alpacas and llamas, your single-humped camels, your double-humped camels, so you only needed two of the camel kind. And so when you work that through, Noah needed far fewer animals uh, than what we think. In fact, we would say at the most 1,400 kinds, uh, two of each, seven of some. Most animals are small, so when you consider the size of the ark, there was actually plenty of room, and we actually have exhibits uh, that actually show that, uh, how many animals he needed. There, by the way, when we give answers like that, that's called apologetics. It means to give logical answers, reasons for what you believe, and that's what I do at our conferences, like the one I'll be doing there in Brisbane at the end of November, uh, what we do on our website, what we do at the Ark, what we do at the Creation Museum. We teach apologetics. We give reasons, answers, uh, so that when people say, how could he fit the animals on board, or how could he feed them, or, or, or where did all the, the different people groups that we see in the world come from, or what about dinosaurs, and we answer those sorts of questions. So I'm thrilled that you're calling up and asking questions. Hey Thomas, thank you so much for your question, for your call today on 2020. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call from Alex in Essendon in Victoria. Hello Alex, welcome along. Well, hello. Yes, uh, that was interesting to hear the question of Thomas and the answer, particularly enlightening. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, my, I'm glad to hear you want to get back to, well, Christians should get back to the Word of God, the authority of God's Word. And as we know, it's, it does say, do not add and do not take away from the Word of God. And, uh, and, the, and you're saying all the answers are in Genesis and and, uh, and the Bible does refer to Genesis all the way through. And Apostle Paul, this is a question that bothers me uh, in, in, uh, as far as getting back to the authority of God's Word and being obedient and having God on our side it, uh, according to our obedience to God's Word, as it is written in Timothy regarding uh, women. Uh, it says, Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection, that I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. And later on in that uh, Timothy chapter 3, we see the structure of the church. We, uh, 
Paul goes right in the detail of a pastor and deacons, bishops. There's no mention of women. And yet today in the church you get women pastors and deacons, all this sort of thing. And I'm, I'm thinking, how can we get back to the word of God and the authority of God word, God's word so that God can bless his church as it should be? Alex, let's get a response from Ken. A controversial topic, and uh, there are obviously uh, lots of responses that can be made, but uh, your thoughts for Alex, and he's talking about, of course, uh, women in the church and uh, having an idea of how you interpret God's Word. You might have your own thoughts. Uh, Ken Ham, what are your thoughts for, for, uh, for Alex? Well, Alex, uh, certainly you know, the passage you quoted actually does go back to Genesis and talks about Adam, talks about Eve, and there's no doubt, um, you know, the, the, the Scripture talks about, and this is where we have to be careful, we're, we're not saying, and the Bible is not saying men and women aren't equal. They are equal. They're equal before God. In fact, uh, the Bible tells us to, uh, for women to be submissive to their husbands, but then it says, husbands, submit to your wives. We're talking about Ephesians here, um, and, and be prepared to die for your wives as Christ died for the church. The scripture makes it very clear that we're to have different roles, and that's what's important. And one of the things that, that we do as a ministry, I mean, there's certain areas that we don't actually get into as a ministry. We're not saying they're not important or anything like this. But one of the things that, that we're saying as a ministry, look, when we start to take God's word seriously, um, we, we, that's, that's the point of what we need to be doing. And so as a ministry, we're saying much of the church hasn't taken God's word seriously right at the beginning. Once you get Genesis 1 to 11 right, once you take God at his word there, then I find that people are prepared to then listen to what the rest of God's word says. And you have to interpret scripture with scripture. We have, we have to make sure of that and let God's word speak to us. Uh, not us try to impose our ideas on God's Word. Because a lot of times, you know, people say, well, I don't think this, or well, I think this. Or, it's not a matter of our opinion. If the Bible really is the Word of God, then we need to start there as our foundation. And so that's why we have an emphasis on, let's get our foundation in Genesis right, first of all. Once we've got that right, once we take God at His Word and we're not po- imposing our views on Scripture, then we need to make sure that we then take the rest of Scripture as we ought as well. And uh, certainly in that area, and rather than getting into talking about specifics because it's not part of our ministry, but I will say, you know, that does quote from Genesis, and it does say, uh, it's part of what Scripture says, that men and women have different roles, they're equal before God, we're to submit to each other in the roles God has ordained for us. And I think that's important for us to understand. Thank you to Alex in Essendon in Victoria. And before we go to the next call, Ken, interesting way that you can have a focus for your life and for your thinking. And some people are interested in the internal politics and what the Bible might teach about those sorts of things. Others are interested in the way you have the argument that comes to people who are outside of the church, people who are non-believers, people who have genuine questions. And that's what apologetics does too, isn't it? It has this focus on those who are outside having those answers for people who have genuine questions about God and about the relevance of the Bible. Oh, exactly, Neil. And in fact, you know, we live in a time that's called a scientific age. And people have this idea that, oh, science has shown that you can't trust the Bible. And that's one of the reasons why at the Creation Museum, at the Ark, 
with with all the books we produce and so on. We're an apologetics ministry. By apologetics, uh, we, we mean to give a logical reason defense of the faith. First Peter three fifteen says, "Always be prepared to give an answer or defense." And and those words, answer or defense, is uh, translated from the Greek word apologia, from which we get our word apologetics. And so when Christians say, well, how can you believe the Bible? Well, where did, where did God come from? Uh, or, or how do you know the Bible's true? I should say when non-Christians ask those questions. Where did God come from? How do you know the Bible's true? But hasn't science disproved the Bible? Well, how could Noah's Ark be true? Is there any evidence for the flood? Well, how could Noah get the animals on the Ark? Don't dinosaurs disprove the Bible? Or what about carbon dating? And that's why it's important to have answers. And really, a summary of our ministry, Neil, would be this. You know, when Jesus came to the tomb of Lazarus, Lazarus was dead. And the Bible says, you know, non-Christians are dead in trespasses and sin. So how do you raise the dead? Well, he comes to the tomb of Lazarus and he says to the people, you move the stone away. I mean, God could have moved the stone away. Jesus, with one thought, could have made that stone disappear. But you can move the stone away. And then what people couldn't do, Jesus did. His word raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus come forth. Rolling the stone away is like us giving answers. Hey, you got, you got questions, you think you can't trust the Bible, you've got questions about uh, dating methods or questions about astronomy or biology or geology, questions about the Bible or how, how do we know the Bible's true or if there, if there is a God, how do we know, where did he come from, and so on. Well, we answer those questions logically, we're rolling the stone away, but we make sure in our ministry that as we roll that stone away, we're always doing this too, pointing them to the Word of God, that saves because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of god and so we give answers to those questions to help them understand there's an infinite creator god who's always existed the bible really is a revelation to us from him and what it says makes sense of the world and science actually confirms it pointing them to the word of god and praying that god would use his word to open their heart and save them let's take another call peter is in victoria hello peter welcome along Hello, um, John and uh, um, Neil, sorry, and uh, Ken. I would just like to say that um, I'm just so excited that um, Ken's giving a wealth of biblical information, pointing people, you know, to God's word for answers. Um, he's reminded me of what uh, of the wise man that Jesus spoke about, who built on the rock, so that when the storm came, his house was not shaken because it was founded on the rock and. Uh, you know, Christians have the truth today. We have God's word, and um, you know, the, you know, Jesus is the truth, and he, he came to set the captives free. So, just you know, it's, uh, you know, encourage people that you know look to Jesus because he he's the one. He's the answer to our freedom, and you know, we can find the answers in God's word in His word. So, um, I'm yeah, so excited. Peter, about that. great to hear from you, and uh, real affirmation for those foundations. Let's continue to take some calls. Graham is in Tasmania. Hello, Graham. <laughs> Hello. Uh, the animal, domestic animals of the world, like dogs, we've got spaniels and labradors. But when the animals went onto the ark, uh, you would have it. You'd have uh, one hump camels, two hump camels, and of course the llamas. Uh, now, you, I thought you said that uh, the camel kind. So you say, are you saying that all camels come from one camel itself? Ken. Uh, yeah. Yeah, in fact, uh, all dogs come from uh, w one dog kind. If, if, if you look at our classification system, kingdom, form, class, order, family, genus, species, that's an arbitrary system man has invented. We would say that the kind is more at the family level of classification. And the interesting thing is, you see, Darwin 
didn't have any understanding of genetics in his day, none at all. It was Mendel who started to, you know, give us an understanding of genetics, and of course, even, even his work was ignored for many, many years. But now that we understand the incredible amount of information in our genes, and, and actually the more work we've done, in fact, we just had one of our scientists, Dr. Nathaniel Jensen, just published a brand new book called Replacing Darwin. In fact, the first time it'll be in Australia is when I'm there uh, at this conference, and we'll release it there. And he's done an incredible amount of study on genetics and can show uh, when, you, when you look at uh, the, the different species that we have today, you can see how easy it is and how fast speciation can, can occur. So two of the camel kind getting off the ark can produce llamas and alpacas and your one-hump camels and your two-hump camels very, very quickly. It doesn't take a long period of time. People don't realize there's an awful lot of speciation going on today. In fact, when you look at the, the mammal kind, there's an incredible number. There's more what they would call subspecies than there are species. And when you look at those subspecies, you realize they're very different uh, to what are called species. And so they're probably, right now, we would say forming different species within those kinds. So many people don't realize the incredible amount of genetic variability that God inbuilt into each kind. And we've been led to believe speciation is a slow process. It actually can happen really quickly. I mean, you can have zebra striping uh, turning on and off in a generation. People don't realize that sort of thing. Thank you so much to Graham in Tasmania. Well, let's take one more call. Louise is in Brisbane, Queensland. Hello, Louise. Welcome along. Thank you. What are your thoughts, Louise? Um, my question is, why do you think, um, Ken, that the churches and Bible colleges have um, compromised on the issue of evolution? Um, and what do you think the solution is to this compromise? Important question. Ken Ham. Wow. Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I, I think for a lot of them, a lot of these academics, they, that, there's a lot of academic peer pressure. And, and if you actually believe in six literal days and a young earth as we do, you'll be called anti-academic and anti-science and uh, you'll be called anti-intellectual. And I think that sort of pressure causes people... I mean, look what the scripture says. You know, our heart is we would rather believe that which is wrong than that which is right. We'd rather have the praise of men than the praise of God. And many of them, they have not been taught these answers. They haven't been taught apologetics. And that's one of the reasons why really, you know, the conference I'm talking about, it's really an apologetics conference. That's what it is that I and Andrew do. We actually answer questions to help people understand. We can defend our faith. Many people are intimidated because they don't have these answers. And they think, oh, I'm not a PhD scientist, so how could I understand these? But you don't have to be a PhD scientist. Uh, to, uh, to be able to give the big picture answers in all these areas of geology, biology, astronomy, anthropology. And so we need to really show people. And I find once you give them these answers, it's like a light bulb that goes on in their head and they say, wow. And uh, we just, we've got to get the information out there. And that's, that's why we produce the books we do. That's why we have the Creation Museum. That's why we have the Ark Encounter. It's really to overcome this lack of information. Like in Hosea, the prophet said, my people suffer from a lack of knowledge, and we need to get that knowledge out there. And that's why I encourage everyone, hey, come to, the, come to the conference and get this knowledge, get this information, get these answers. A biblical perspective on life, culture, and current events. This is 2020 on Vision Christian Radio. 
Just two or three minutes remaining in our conversation with Ken Ham from Answers in Genesis and the founder of, of course, the Creation Museum and the world-renowned Ark Encounter. Uh, Ken, those are huge projects on their own, uh, but some people will be saying, I'm sure Ken's got another ace up his sleeve somewhere and there must be some more developments on their way. What can you tell us about some plans for the future? Well, certainly, Neil, uh, and we're going to expand the Creation Museum, but at the Ark Encounter, uh, it sits on, man, uh, you know what, I don't know the conversion. It's 800 acres. I don't know how many hectares that is, but it's a lot, it's a lot of land. And uh, we're going to build a Tower of Babel. It's probably going to be our next major project is a Tower of Babel because when people ask me when's it going to be finished, and I say, well, it can never be finished. Well, I say that jokingly. Um, <laughs> but we're going to have a Tower of Babel, a walled city featuring Noah's house and... Uh, all sorts of interesting things, pre-flood uh, world, sort of picturing that. We're going to have a first-century village, uh, amphitheater, a ride through the plagues of Egypt. Hey, we've got we've got so much uh, vision for the future, and so many things we're planning. In fact, we're opening a 2,500-seat uh, multi-purpose auditorium uh, at the Ark Encounter next year, so we can do more programs. We're expanding the zoo. We're going to have an animal stage, have special animal programs uh, as well during the day. And uh, in, in, uh, lots more that's coming too. So no, it, people have to come every year. They have to have to come from Australia every year to see see all the latest stuff. Uh, that's what theme parks do. They introduce a new attraction each year and keeps people coming back. Have you found that people are coming back year after? Well, it's it's only been really uh, relatively recent the actual Ark encounter, but the museum people are coming back regularly. Oh yes, a lot of people. In fact, people go back to their churches and they say we've got to take busloads back. There are some people that tell me uh, that they've made it a point to come every year. Some people are coming more more uh, than just once a year, coming many times a year, and then they're bringing all their new friends with them. And, uh, in fact, we've had to build a whole big new parking lot at the Creation Museum because there's been so much increased traffic. We're told that the bus tours for next year are going to be bigger than they were this year. Uh, I tell you, it's keeping us busy and, and keeping us on our toes, and we keep adding things. These, these have become major, major uh, tourist attractions and certainly has put northern Kentucky on the map here. Well, let's talk about your visit to Australia. I'll just give the details uh, for people who want to be a part of what is essentially, as you say, an apologetics conference. It's called the Re-Engage Conference. It's on the 24th and 25th of this month, a two-day conference at the Mueller Community Church at 75 Morris Road, Rothwell. Now, Rothwell is just on the north side of Brisbane. There is a website where you can get the details. It's called reengage.org.au. That's reengage.org.au. Uh, well, Ken Ham, always just great catching up, and thanks so much for uh, making your wisdom and insights available for listeners today. And thank you to every listener who called in and asked a question or made a comment. Just wonderful to have the opportunity to talk to you, Ken, and I look forward to another opportunity sometime into the near future. Thanks so much for being with us today. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.